So today I'm really excited because I have a special guest and his name is Dr. Johnny Bowden. You probably heard about him. He kind of is known as a myth buster, but he has a PhD in holistic nutrition and he also has a certified nutrition specialist degree. And the guy knows his stuff. And I really fell in love with what he had to say because I would always get these really fun emails from him written with his own little swag. Um, and he debunks a lot of myths. You know, if there are certain diet trends or things that just don't sit well with him, he's not afraid to let you know. But we do share a lot in common. And although he does have some input on approaches to eating that may be a little bit different, I think we can all agree that the basis is totally on point. It's about eating real food. And I think you'll appreciate his unique point of view. He is the author of so many books. And in fact, you can find the link to his website here in the show notes. From Living Low Carb to Smart Fat, The 150 Healthiest Foods on Earth, The Most Effective Ways on Earth to Boost Your Energy, The Great Cholesterol Myth, The Metabolic Factor, The Most Effective Natural Cures on Earth, and The Most Effective Ways to Live Longer. Just a few of his titles. I think you're really going to like this one, and you are in for a treat with Johnny. Hi, I'm Maria, otherwise known as the Fit Foodie. I'm a chef, holistic nutritionist, author, inventor, and mom. And I want to welcome you to my podcast. It's called Recipes for Your Best Life. And with every episode, I'm peeling back the onion on fitness, nutrition, health, wellness, and family. The truth is you're the chef of your life. And for every important pillar, there's a great recipe worth sharing. So every week we'll explore them together. Think of it as food for thought that you can really sink your teeth into. So join me and let's squeeze the joy out of this life because you only get one. Can I get a fork, yeah? All right, Johnny, how are you? I'm great, how are you? I'm so excited to have you on. Um, I've been, I'm not gonna call myself a stalker because that sounds really creepy, but I have kind of been a fan of yours for quite some time. Um, I had subscribed to your newsletter for many, many years. And then we had the opportunity to connect over our Eat Cleaner products. And I'm just so thrilled that you're giving us this time today. So thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having me. And may I just give a fast, unsolicited shout out to those Eat Cleaner products, which are on my Johnny Recommends list on my website and which I use on an almost daily basis since I, I juice, as we talked about offline, and I, um, I make fresh vegetable and, and I call it plant juice. So I am constantly using your products. I love them. And uh, thanks for making them. That is that is like the nicest thing ever. Thank you so much. You just made my year. Yeah. Um, so I I was really kind of blown away by your story. I mean, and for everybody that's listening right now, we will post in the show notes, you can link to Johnny's website, it's johnnybowden.com. But I was kind of shocked by your story because looking at you now, you are truly the picture of health. And I was surprised to hear of your story of, of struggle. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, I think you must be talking about the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> uh, and, yes. and I was pretty much, I, I've been 
very public about this, so it's no longer a big secret. Um, addicted to everything that is listed in the PDR. I, for people who don't know what the PDR is, that's a physician's desk reference. It's about 3,000 pages worth of you know, uh, text on every drug that's ever been invented and all the side effects and dosing and things. So my joke is that I've been addicted to everything that's in there, but of course I haven't. <laughs> my, mom, my mom was a pharmacist, so I know the PDR well. It's a big, big <laughs> book for everybody that's visual. It's a good way to, to just to give a visual right for the for the cornucopia of drugs that I have been addicted to in my life. And I always say to audience, and whatever one you're thinking about, wondering if he did that, yep, he did. <laughs> so and, and so yeah, that's that that's kind of a crazy place to come from to where you are now. I mean, was there a pivot point that you just said enough is enough? You know, the thing is my drug and alcohol addiction were were kind of very much um uh, they were almost the norm in the profession I was in. I was a musician. Uh, I started out as a jazz musician before I got into Broadway and, and more kind of, you know, um, structured things. But, you know, in jazz, all the great heroes were heroines. I mean, mm. Joe Coltrane, Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, you name Tony Smunk. I mean, all my heroes. So it was not quite as weird to be, you know, uh, spending a lot of time doing drugs when you were, you know, a professional musician. And, and in particularly in that era, you know, we're talking the 70s and we're talking, you know, jazz and, and, and associated uh, art forms and stuff like that, where, you know, drugs were very much a big part of the culture. Um, and, you know, I, I went, you know, having an addictive personality, being sort of built that way, I, I went whole hard, uh, whole hog on the whole thing. And between, you know, drugs and alcohol, I was yeah, pretty messed. It was pretty amazing to me looking back on it that I made a uh, um, a career out of music and actually managed to make a living doing it. <laughs> well, um, and you were really successful at it. And so, you know, you, you were you took that acumen, obviously, into where you are now. But there must have been a breaking point? Well, uh, you know, I, I was um, always fascinated with health. I had that kind of, um, you know, um, Madonna whore thing going on like with, in, in my own life about like, on the one hand, I was like really interested in being healthy. And on the other hand, I was like the worst, <laughs> you know, I, I was in terrible shape. Obviously, I was overweight. I smoked cigarettes. Uh, I, I didn't do any kind of exercise and stuff like that. So, but yet at the same time, I had this kind of really kind of longing to, you know, be a guy with muscles who was in good shape and did all that good stuff. And I, I think what probably um, I, I actually stopped the drugs and alcohol before I, I got into health and fitness. So there was a period there of sobriety when I was just working as a musician and actually not um, doing drugs or alcohol. But I still had that kind of interest and longing, and what, and it was kind of fortuitous. What was happening was at that point I was uh, musical directing Broadway shows on 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 things that, you know, on like their road companies and their tours, and and uh, we used to call them bus and truck tours and national tours. And so I was actually at the Goodspeed Opera House in Connecticut, and I was I was music directing a show there. And when you are on the road with shows, there is nothing to do during the day. So after the show has all been rehearsed, it just, you know, packs up and moves to a new city. And then you're pretty much on your own during the day. And there was a lot of free time. And right. the actors, you know, it's their job to stay in shape. So I had all the, I'm around, you know, all these guys that are, you know, they're in great shape to go into the gym. And I was just bored out of my head. So I, I 
took the opportunity to say to one of them, I remember, how do you do this weight stuff? Teach me an exercise <laughs> like that. Yeah. And it literally started like that. And I thought, this is kind of cool. And I started tagging along and going to the gym. And then I started getting, I put all my addictive obsessiveness into that. And I started going, wait, this is amazing. Like, wait, I'm going to start to change my diet. And now I was not one of those people who had an epiphany and an overnight change. I was one of those guys who uh, would uh, go to the gym, do a set of bench presses, and I'd be the one who, go, who goes outside and takes a cigarette break in between. <laughs> so it took, me, it took me a few years to kind of make the transition completely. But when I really got bitten by the bug, it was a pretty quick uh, descent, as they would say. You know, I went full hog. Within a year, I knew where every gym was and all the towns that, you know, all the, the, the cities that we would tour. And... Um, I, and, and being a kind of upper middle class Jewish New York academic overachieving type, the first thing I thought to myself was, I got to get a degree in this. I love this. This is really good. How do you how do you learn more about how this, this personal training stuff and this exercise? And, you know, at the time, there was really not much around. There were these magazines like we used to call it Muscle and Fiction uh, muscle and fitness <laughs> magazine and things like that that were all very steroid friendly and there just wasn't really good information and I found out that you could actually get certified as a personal trainer and I thought that would be the coolest thing ever because they would put that in the Broadway playbill and say oh uh, Mr. Bowden the conductor is also a certified aerobics instructor or whatever I just thought it would sound cool mm. so on a whim I sign up to get a certification course in personal training and I take the course and I'm telling you it was just like coming home. I, I loved it. Hmm. I loved so you it. taught you taught exercise, or well, did you just go through the instruction? I, I, first, I got certified as a personal trainer, and I, those certifications are very easy to get, or at least the first one that I got was very easy to get. So it doesn't really make you an experienced trainer, but it does get you a certificate. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I finished that first certificate, I said, "This is great. I got to get another one of these." And I wound up collecting six. I got certified by the National Academy of Sports Medicine, the American Academy, the American College of Sports Medicine, uh, American Council on Exercise, Aerobics uh, and Fitness Association. Wow. I got all of them. I got six of them. And one day I am literally walking down uh, in my neighborhood in New York City. Uh, and I, I actually had a New York gig, which was very unusual, you know, as, as a touring musician. I, I wasn't at the top echelon. I wasn't doing Broadway shows. I was doing the tours of the Broadway shows, the national tours. So I, was, I wasn't like, you know, at, at the top of the profession, but I did have a gig in New York and it was a show and it looked like it was going to run there for a while. And so what I did was um, I passed by this place and it looked like it was hiring trainers. And there's this big sign that says Jim is opening September 1991, and, and um, it's called Equinox. Mm. It looks really cool. And they've mm. got a sign that they're looking for training. So I walk. I've never worked with a client in my life, but I do have my certification. And I walk in, and it's a little upstairs office over what eventually became the first Equinox to open in Manhattan in New York City and on Amsterdam Avenue. And uh, there were the, the, the owners, the, the two brothers and sister, and they were sitting in makeshift offices, and they were, you know, doing all the construction, doing all the hiring, and doing all the paperwork. And I walked in, and I said, I'm a trainer. I'd like a job here. And God only knows why, but I seem to connect with them, and they hired me. Mm. And so when Equinox opened its first. Uh, that was your first gym? 
That was their first gym in Manhattan. They did have one in Long Island, uh, in, 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 uh, in the suburbs. They had one small one. But their first foray into Manhattan, the one that got famous, the one that made them Equinox, was on Amsterdam Avenue. And they opened on the Equinox in September. And I was there on the floor. And I remained with Equinox for seven years as uh, I eventually became the dean of the Equinox Fitness Training Program, which was the uh, kind of the school that they had to hire to, to train trainers. And it's kind of the model of what they use in, in the better gyms across the country. Now, and of course, Equinox became world famous and they, uh, you know, it's now one of the, the top gyms in the country and it's in every city and all of that. But that's where I got my start. And I started as a floor trainer. And uh, I did I, the only nutrition education I had was what they taught trainers, which was pathetic. And it was you know, basically all the, the, the claptrap from the American Dietetic Association. That was the only people that anybody thought, you know, knew anything about nutrition. So we learned that stuff. And I was an eager follower of that. I was a low fat guy. I believed in that to my soul. When I started working uh, in the field around 1990, I bought I was an establishment. Uh, I, I, um, I was one of those guys when uh, you would order an egg white omelet and it would come with a little bit of the yolks. I'd send it back. Oh my goodness. Sure. I would, oh no, no, this has some yolk in it. I'm going to get, you know, there's saturated fat and cholesterol. I'm going to get a heart. Cholesterol. My goodness. I bought it locked, you know, hook, line and sinker. And, um, you know, so my journey to where I am now started as being kind of a, 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 you know, I started very much in the establishment. And and what actually happened for me was the evidence of my eyes and senses did not match what I had been taught. And I'll give you an example. So right around 1991-92, Atkins came out with the third edition of his famous book, The, the New Diet Revolution, which was, of course, the Atkins diet. Mm-hmm. It was getting a lot of attention, and there was actually beginning to be some research about it that was actually being published. And um, every one of us trainers thought this was absolute medical malpractice. This guy <laughs> is telling people to eat fat. He's telling people to eat pork rinds. He is just, you know, why don't they bring him up on charges? Why don't they take his license away? So we all believed that. And yet um, our clients were very frequently frustrated with the bad advice they were getting and the the kind of culture that said like, yeah, if you're not losing weight, just get back on that treadmill and burn more calories. And and there was also, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, a culture among trainers, and it still exists to this day among doctors and health professionals. We we figured if it, if it wasn't working for them, they were lying, they were cheating. Mm. Nobody was willing to think maybe the shit we're telling them is not true. Maybe right. this is wrong. But no, we all figured that well, if they're on the treadmill for an hour and they they tell us that they're eating only these number of calories and they're keeping it low fat, well, they've got to be lying. And of course. They weren't lying. <laughs> it just wasn't working. So what would happen is that some of our clients would come in and say, I'm done with this. I'm try- I had my neighbor tried the Atkins diet. He lost 30 pounds. I'm going on the Atkins diet. And we would say, you can't do that. You're crazy. You might lose a few pounds, but this stuff is, and you're going to get a heart attack. You'll die. You can't do it. But they did it anyway. And guess what? They didn't die. They didn't die. They came back, many of them, I can think of several of my clients who came back losing weight, 
with better blood lipids, their doctors were astonished, their triglycerides would drop, their HDL cholesterol would maybe go up a little bit, um, their inflammatory markers would go down, they just, their blood pressure would go lower, they, they had clearer eyes, they felt better. And that didn't make sense to me because we had been taught that this was a diet that was going to kill you. We well, and do you, did you see this kind of work across the board for people? Because I'm always interested in like, what is the consistent thread? You know, some things work for some people, some things work uh, for other people, and maybe not all of those are shared. But did you feel like there was a consistent portion of your clientele that were really responding from the Atkins approach? I felt that there were enough people who were responding positively to disprove the notion that low-fat diets and greater exercise on the treadmill was the only way to lose weight. Hmm. It's sort of the black swan theory. You know, you only need one black swan to disprove the theory that all swans are white. Right. And if the only way to lose weight and get healthy is a low-fat diet, low-calorie, high-complex carbohydrates, all the claptrap that they would talk back then, lots of aerobic exercise, eat every two hours. If that's the only way to lose weight and people are, in fact, losing weight and getting healthier on the opposite approach, that's enough to say, wait a minute here, this can't be, there's got to be a little bit more to this. Yeah. So, and we've seen that now we're sort of on the other side of that river of low fat. And now we're seeing, you know, it, 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 there really is an abundance of fat. There's an abundance of animal protein and there's kind of the other school of thought where it's like, sure, eat bacon, eat, you know, as much meat as you want. Um, and that, that is another school of thought. I mean, we're, where do we find the true path to health? I mean, you've authored so many books, Smart Fat, Living Low Carb. Um, you know, I, I know what your approach is, but in terms of like what's out there, if you were to categorize keto versus paleo versus vegan, where do you feel like we ended up in being the best kind of high ground, I guess, now that low carb is, is or now that um, high carb or, you know, the whole low fat thing is, is really a thing of the past. Well, I, first of all, I sadly have to take objection to the conclusion that it's a thing of the past. Uh, we live, you and I, in, in you know, the, uh, the coastal cities, New York and L.A., and they tend to be you know, pretty hip and trendy on, on the latest things. But the bulk of the people in the country are still very much believers in low fat, U.S. News and World Report and their, you know, annual issue on the best diets is con continually uh, uh, informed by that belief. And, and they rate diets, you know, depending on how much saturated fat they have. Well, if they have fat, they can't be a good diet. So yeah. that's very much, I mean, the Cleveland Clinic has now two different uh, tracks <laughs> in terms of heart disease. They used to have only one, which was Carol Esteson's completely zero fat program for heart disease. Now they have the Center for Functional Medicine run by Mark Hyman. He has a completely different point of view. But let us not think for any by any stretch of the imagination that the notion of keeping fat low and carbs high has, has gone away because it hasn't. Mm -hmm. uh, most doctors, at, at least the ones that I, I run into um, that, that I don't work with, but that I hear about, 
out from people that um, go to them, um, still believe that, you know, you have to cut your cholesterol, don't eat any cholesterol, don't eat saturated fat, and, uh, you know, you'll be fine. And that's, and they, most of them believe in the calorie theory, that it's all about calories. We do think calories matter, but we think hormones matter just as much, and most doctors don't even talk about that. So I would not say that this is a thing of the past at all. I would say it is an evolving thing where people are beginning to accept that there might be other ways uh, to get um, uh, to get in the best of health and that people might vary significantly in what they would respond to. I have said from the beginning of my career that the, the, my mantra is biochemical individuality. No two people are exactly the same. We're hormonally different. We're different in terms of our microbiome. We're different in terms of our hormones, our metabolism, our uh, tastes, our culture, our ethnicities, our genetics. And naturally, no one diet would work for all of them. So I kind of have my my position is let's start from basically the factory specified diet for humans, the one that has kind of run us for the 2.4 uh, million years that the human genus has been on the planet. And those are foods, I call them the Johnny Bowden four food groups, food that you could hunt, fish, gather, or pluck. And I think that is a great place to start in, divide, in designing any dietary system for anybody. What is it you start with what you, you know, my, my great nutrition teacher, Robert Crane, used to say, if you're not sure if it's healthy for you, imagine the following, you know, imagine the following situation. You're naked on the African Serengeti with a sharp stick. <laughs> what can you eat? Because whatever you can catch, eat, fish, or pluck with that stick, it's probably good for you. Okay. So I'm going to lay a heavy question on you. Um, what do you do if you don't eat meat? Well, this is a wonderful discussion and one that I love having because I, it comes up all the time. I've written about it. I talk about it. I, I converse about it. I argue about it. Um, I, there are two types of vegetarians or two types of vegans. The vegan who says to me, I cannot eat anything that was, I cannot, my, my heart, I, I just look, I can't, I, it, had, it was alive. I love, I just can't. That that person, you don't argue with. The person who says it's healthier not to eat animal products, that person I can argue with. Mm. So if somebody's religion or their belief system um, or their heart and soul or whatever just tells them I can't do this act, you can't argue with that any more than you can argue with what people believe in terms of religion. Right. When people tell me there are health advantages to not eating animal products, well, let me at, let me at those people because those people you can discuss with. If, if it's not, and sometimes it's a combination of the two. You know, people think it's very unhealthy and they're not happy eating animals. Okay, I get it. But um, so the first thing I would say to your question, what do you do when you don't eat meat, is I'd ask the person why. I was working with someone just the other day. I, I don't do one-on-one -on -one anymore, but someone brought me a, a very close friend and they were... And, and some things were going on in their life and they wanted some some basic, you know, some just my take on what to do nutritionally. First thing she said, I don't eat meat. And I said, why? Because I eat meat for the reasons that I said earlier, where I, I just can't. It feels to me like it's eating my golden retriever. I just I can't do it. They have, you know, no argument. But if you tell me I don't eat meat because you think it's unhealthy, then let's have that discussion, because in fact, 
there are lots of ways to eat meat that are very healthy. And, and there are lots of meats that are, in fact, in my opinion, health foods. And of course, it has everything to do with how that meat was raised and how it, what it was fed and what its life was like. But there are plenty of ways to incorporate an, animal products. And the fact is that no matter how much our feelings tell us, our physiology was designed to do better with some animal products in our system. There are things that do not exist in the plant kingdom that our bodies need, B12 being one of them, folic acid, uh, a folate being another, selenium being a third, heme iron being a fourth, and most important, the omega-3s that your brain is made of. And yes, I know all the vegan arguments, oh, there's omega-3s in plant foods, they ain't the same omega-3s, and they have to be converted to something else, and they just don't do the same job. So there's a lot of evidence that, you know, we really do do better with some animal products, and I would have that discussion with someone. I don't just accept it when they say, I don't eat meat, that's, that's fine, but tell me why, so we can find out if this is something that's non-negotiable or something that we might want to discuss, because the fact is, I've had, I can't tell you the number, particularly women clients, when I was doing one-on-one -on -one, who would say, I didn't eat meat, I didn't eat meat, I felt like crap, I never had energy, and then I started eating it again, and all of a sudden, sure, well, yeah. if, if that's the case, then that's something you need to look at. Right, so what do you, what do you say, um, what do you think about the classification diets? I mean, so we, I think it's very easy for people to kind of neatly put things into a box, so they'll call it paleo, or they'll call it keto, or they'll call it you know, whatever today or tomorrow's new new diet is. What do you think about the idea that a paleo a paleo diet, for example, means you can eat pretty much as much animal protein as you want? I mean, do you think that's first of all an accurate way to even describe it? And then second of all, you know, how would you give people parameters within that? Perhaps it is good to eat animal proteins, but are there guidelines around how much we should be eating and, and where the other food groups like you referred to fall into place on that plate? You know, uh, um, Maria, I have seen people thrive on some of the weirdest diets you can imagine. There is a movement right now um, headed by a very impressive doctor named Sean, um, um, Sean Baker called the carnivore diet. I know. Yeah. A hundred percent meat diet. Mm. And you'd think to yourself, even I, who, you know, tends to be more on the low carb side of things. I'm thinking, how can that possibly be? It's impossible, right? Oh. Wow. But I interviewed Sean for my for my um, for the next edition of Living Low Carb. I put the carnivore diet in that book, and I interviewed him. And um, he puts his lab works, he puts his blood work online on Twitter. Hmm. And a lot of his followers, many of whom are also doctors, are doing the same thing, and they're putting their lab work up there. Now, this is not science. This is anecdotal information. It's just you know they're all ends of one, as they say. There's it's not a clinical study. These are just different people sharing their data, but damn, that's a pretty surprising, these guys have some of the most impressive labs you've seen. And I asked him, well, what about the vegetables? What about the fiber? What about, the I asked him everything you would think. Right. Him, I think, and you know, there's the results. So I, I'm willing to, you know, I, I, I am not a vegan. I don't 
think it's a particularly smart way to eat or a particularly healthy way to eat for the long haul. But I cannot deny that there's a guy like a guy like um, Joel Furman, who's been a nemesis of mine for years. He's a vegan doctor that uh, very um, aggressive about his vegan uh, uh, philosophy. But you can't deny this guy's in great shape. He mm-hmm. looks 10 years younger than he is. He's a healthy guy. Clearly, there are people who are doing great on an all-meat diet, and there are people doing good on vegan diets. Um, Some of it is a percentage shot. Like they say in tennis, there are high percentage shots and low percentage shots. I think a healthy uh, life as a vegan is a a lower percentage shot. Um, Certainly, it's been done. Certainly, there are people doing it. What What is your, can you talk about what your daily routine looks like? What do you mean, my dog? I can, but only with the caveat that I don't recommend it to anyone. I was just out of curiosity. I I always think it's fascinating to hear people who are, you know, head first into this industry, how they, like you said, it's different for everybody. Everybody's got their different. I never recommend it as a path to anyone. I mean, I figured out what works for me over, you know, years and years and years of doing it and, and, you know, months in which I wrote down every calorie that I consumed and every, you know, gram of every protein and every carbohydrate. I don't do that anymore and haven't done it in decades, but I, I did do it for a while. So I've done a lot of experimenting and kind of figure it out what works for me. Um, and the things that work for me would be unlikely to work for the next person. And that's why I always say, you know, the, the, the good news and the bad news is that the guidelines are just really the, the loosest of guidelines and everybody really has to find their own uh, road, their own path. Sure. And it's going to be different for everybody. And, we're, just, and, we're just curious about what you eat. I I do. I have gone on kicks in which I eat. I, I've done, you know, a few days of meat only. I've done days like that. I do a lot of, uh, it also depends on the kicks. There are a few staples in my diet. I make my own yogurt. I make very high fat, high probiotic yogurt that I make myself once a week and I eat that during the week. I drink a lot of raw milk. Um, I'm, I'm very big into, you know, raw, unpasteurized, unhomogenized dairy. Um, I, berries, cherries, nuts are a huge staple in my diet. Um, I said burgers, um, salmon, wild salmon. And I make juice every day or every couple of days, which is what I started by telling you how I found your your um, your uh, fruit and vegetable wash, which I which is a staple in my house. So I make, you know, pretty much every day or enough to have it in the house six days a week. I make, you know, a huge, big bunch of fresh juice, which I drink all day long. And then I do some intermittent fasting, sometimes by accident. I play tennis every morning at 730. So sometimes I don't eat till noon and there's an intermittent fast that just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are kind of my staples, my, my treat meal or my, you know, my, my big sin, my 10%, as you say, in your 90, 10 rule is pizza, which pizza. is actually overrated as a junk food. It's really, it can be pretty healthy. I mean, after all, you can think about it. It's all the ingredients in the Mediterranean diet on a piece of grain, a, a grain, uh, dough. It's, it's what right. tomato sauce, um, uh, 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 cheese, um, olive oil, um, vegetables, uh, you know, spinach, mushrooms. I mean, it's pretty, it can be pretty decent food, except for the grains. It's pretty decent. So uh, any, anything can be better. Any food out there that people love can always be better. There's always a better option. But if you, if, if there was one thing, because our listeners vary, you know, some of them are further along on their nutrition journey. Some are just getting started. Mm-hmm. If you could recommend one thing, 
that you, you know, maybe it's to your clients or maybe it's to your your private consulting group, you know, members. What what is the one thing that people can do today on their journey to better health? And it is a journey. I that's a it's a great question. I have a very easy answer to that because I find that you know in, in the lectures I've been giving over the last thirty years around the country, the articles I write, the things that I the feedback I get from Facebook from everywhere that I go is that this stuff is just too damn confusing and that nobody can figure out what's what. And one day it's this, and one day it's that. And I understand that. And my work and my writing has always been geared towards that audience. It's like, okay, this is what you need to know because this is the important thing. And my simple dumbed down advice for anybody who is struggling with like what diet to, you know, is it, should it be paleo? Should it be key? And, and among each of those categories, there's a dozen variations. Is uh, along, you know, there's paleo ancestral health where they, uh, movement where they do accept dairy and there's, you know, strict paleo where they don't. And then there's the paleo autoimmune um, protocol. So there's a lot of variations and it's very easy to go nuts. And so when people um, are feeling that, I tell them, take a step back, relax, and I'm going to give you one piece of nutrition advice, one single piece. It's really the only piece you will ever need. So if you ever have to get rid of your entire nutrition library and everything you ever heard and every diet book you ever read and just hang your head on one piece of advice, it's going to be this. Eat real food. Now, let me let me expand on that because it sounds like, well, oh, it's me. If you were to make one major change in your dietary life, in your nutritional life, that would give you the absolute biggest return on investment, it would be to eat only food that your great, 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 great grandmother would have recognized. Mm-hmm. In other words, food that does not come in a package, does not come in a box, does not come in a jar, literally food you could have hunted, fished, gathered, or plucked. Mm. I believe that if you do that, it is far more important than what percentages come from protein and what percentages come from fat and what percentages come from carbs and how many calories that you eat and what timing is the eating. If you can make it a, a black and white digital on off, is it real food or is it not? If you're in doubt, it's not. If you like outside in the garden, would it spoil? Yes or no? This is a very easy distinction. And if you have any doubt whatsoever, is this a processed food? Yes, it is. If you're not sure, it is. <laughs> I love it. That's great advice. Okay, one last question. If you had only one thing to eat, and I know this is crazy, but just curious, one thing to eat for the rest of your life, what is that one just favorite thing of yours? I want to say pizza, but now you see- <laughs> It's a hard question because am I eating it for survival? Like, is, it, is this like my last meal? Yeah, it's just it's, whatever it's, you want. Christianism or is this what's most likely to keep me going for, you know, to keep me alive? Yeah. Kind of two different questions. Well, I, I want it to be the thing that you love the most. I'm pretty fond of pizza. <laughs> no shame in that game, brother. You know what I do, but again, uh, you know, people will say to me, like, how do you, how do you justify eating pizza as a healthy thing? And I go, well, let me ask you how you eat your pizza. And you go, well, I know, you know, we order pizza, we have some beers, we get chips, we watch the football game. Well, let me tell you how I eat my pizza with creamed kale and spinach, <laughs> with some black beans. I mean, I got some vegetables to go with it, you know, as side orders like that. So, I mean, and, and it's one slice out of a day that includes 
fresh blueberries, uh, some cherries, lots of nuts, for uh, a homemade yogurt. I mean, it's really patterns of eating that gets us healthy, not just single foods. There really are no magical foods and magical proportions of protein, fat, and carbohydrates. It's really patterns of eating that are healthy. And that's that's what I think. I think that's what you go after when you talk about your 90-10 rule. If 90% of the stuff you eat is really good and 10% isn't poison, it's maybe not great, but it's not like you're, you know, you're eating 90% vegetables. It's not like you're chugging down diet soda and chasing it with Twinkies. No, it's 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 still real food and it's handmade and you love it. And like you said, you eat one piece of it because it gives you so much joy and pleasure and you savor it and you actually taste it. Yes. And that's, that's a real dish. That's, that's when you eat with intention. Right. And I know we didn't get to half the questions you you had sent me over and I was looking forward to going over all these. Maybe I should come back and we can. I think think I'd love to have you back. I think we could talk for volumes and volumes, but I think this is a great start. And I want to thank you, Johnny. And we're going to post all of the notes so that people can come find you. Okay. Is, there, is there one particular place that maybe they can follow you where um, you like to interact with them the most? I'm, I'm pretty responsive on Twitter at Johnny Bowden and my website is johnnybowden.com. And just remember, there's no H in Johnny, J-O-N-N-Y-B-O-W. Yeah, and people will find, you'll find the link guys um, in the show notes. Johnny, it's been a pleasure. I'm so Perfect. glad that we're friends. And, uh, I, I love our discussions. Okay, great. We'll do it again. Thank you so much awesome. for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I know you have a lot of choices out there of what to listen to, what to watch. So it means a lot to me that you're here with me. And hey, if you love this content, would you hit the subscribe button? I want you around. I don't want you to just show up for one episode and leave. I want you here, part of the conversation, a seat at this table. And while you're at it, would you share this with your friends and family? And if you take a screenshot and share it on your social media with a hashtag RFYBL for recipes for your best life, I'll make sure to personally give you a shout out and you may just be featured right here on the show. So until next time, here's to living deliciously and being the chef of your best life.